parliamentary budget watchdog says the government's been lowballing the price tag. You win some, you lose some. If you lose, you comply, and that's what we'll do. Canada, for example, the government said that it's dumb. Now, that's an actual quote from the former prime minister that this is that what they do is dumb. In the long run, we must protect the taxpayers from government. Even Ronald Reagan in the United States said that, oh, the Congressional Budget Office makes phony numbers. They use the word phony. Right, so government isn't happy with this idea. So what's got government so riled? The Parliamentary Budget Office, the PBO, or its 50 or so equivalents around the world. Most of them came about after the global financial crisis and are designed to forecast, model and cost policies, holding government to account. Australia's was founded in 2012. So in an election campaign, what do Australian politicians think of the PBO? It's sort of like a polite thing, it's a politically correct thing, to just be nice to this institution and not care about it. That's my guest on this episode of Business Briefing. Usman Chohan, and I am a doctoral candidate in economics and policy reform at UNSW Australia. Usman, how does Australia's PBO compare with others around the world? The issue is that they diverge wildly in what they are capable of doing, what they are allowed to do, uh, and where they fit into the political and economic process. So on the strong end, which means that they are very well equipped and they're an integral part of the budget process, we've got countries such as the United States and Australia. So in the U.S., the Congressional Budget Office has more than 200 uh, budget experts, and it has the second largest number of economists in any federal agency after the Federal Reserve itself. So it's very big. In Australia, it's also very large. It has about 40 going on 50 uh, budget experts, including some stars from the Treasury. And from this high point, we can go down the list of countries and it gets uglier and uglier until you basically have either semi-puppet institutions that are ignored or you have institutions that try to raise their voice for democracy uh, and better budgeting and then they get attacked for it. And this is not something specific to developing countries. Actually, a strong democracy such as Canada has had a very hard time in trying to place its PBO in the budget process because they had their first budget officer, a gentleman named Kevin Page, who wanted to raise issues about the misrepresentation of budget policies, uh, but they tended to be about very controversial things. So he costed out the war in Afghanistan, what it would cost the Canadian taxpayer, That was one. And the second one was how much it would cost to procure these advanced jet fighters for the war effort. And what he found was that uh, the government was basically lying and understating the cost by about half. But you can imagine that these are such politically charged ideas, a war in a foreign country, that he was attacked and they tried to shut down his office. They cut down his funding by about 30 percent, so from $3 million to $2 million dollars. And they started to make his work subservient to a department called the Library of Parliament. So it was not an independent office anymore. These kinds of things happen in strong democracies, too. Corruption can be an issue in developing country PBOs. And there's other issues such as Venezuela having a PBO that was very vocal, and it was just shut down, like it doesn't exist anymore, after the Chavez government came, because it started to uh, raise questions about how the budgeting would take place under that regime. 
allegations about corruption haven't really happened here in Australia, not that I know of, with our PBO, but it has been criticised as being a bit of a toothless tiger in the sense that it doesn't really hold government to account in the way that it should. What's your opinion on this? This is a very uh, philosophical question, and it's a powerful one. So what we're asking is, should PBOs be allowed to compel governments to behave well, or should they just be uh, asked to support so the question is, do they, are they advisors or are they just a costings agency? The philosophy in Australia has been that this institution should fit within the charter of budget honesty, and so it becomes part of a bigger process. And that process itself is tied very much into ritual. But there is no fiscal authority in real life, because when a non-elected body of economists starts to do fiscal policy decision-making, you're almost overriding democracy because these people weren't elected to make promises for uh, people. And so it gets a bit ugly when you try to find the balance or strike the balance between being an advisory body and a costings agency. But I think that one example that has been very powerful is the American Congressional Budget Office because it has uh, taken up certain issues that seemed almost advisory. It was not just doing uh, what's called scorekeeping in budgeting or just forecasting. It did step in and say that, oh, the following government is not doing this right. Obama's administration worked with the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, on the options for health care reform, as opposed to Clinton uh, in the 90s, who went against it, uh, did not cooperate as much. And so you see the difference. Obama's health care plan passed through and Clinton's didn't. In Australia, we've seen recently that the PBO has costed something that the Greens asked it to do in relation to the coalition's company tax policy. The role of the PBO in the election campaign so far, has it been that sort of role that you described where it's just costing things or has it started to step into the area of being more in bed with government? Uh, I believe that it's just stuck to costings and part of that is the leadership. The leadership of the PBO here has very much situated the organization, the PBO, within the budget framework as it was. Uh, And so he believes it should be a costing institution, as opposed to in Canada, where Kevin Page thought that it should be a voice for activism in budgeting. The question then becomes, should the differences between Treasury's numbers and PBO always be different? Or is it possible for them to corroborate one another? And the issue is that sometimes... PBO numbers or budget office numbers and treasury numbers will agree because the assumptions that they choose uh, to build their analysis on will be the same. So that's not a bad thing per se. I believe that if there are huge differences, then that's good for democracy. And if there aren't big differences, it's good for efficiency because there's a general agreement for things to proceed. And we should take it on a policy by policy basis. And that's the case that happened in the, the PEFO, pre-election fiscal outlook, that they were big differences. It's no big deal. What more do you think the PBO could do in terms of being proactive? Or should it remain a reactive type body? I believe that the PBO, as it is right now, is probably doing the right thing by sticking to costings for now. So far, uh, the government and opposition, uh, whenever they switch places, uh, have been very polite to the PBO. And they've all and they've sort of said, oh, we respect this institution. We take their numbers as granted, that this is the right analysis. And I think that's the mature approach, uh, because you don't want to attack this institution that just makes things ugly. But I also believe that in Australia, it's part of the bigger charter of budget honesty system that's been going on for about two decades now. 
And that's a system that's very much uh, ritual. And so it's sort of like a polite thing. It's a politically correct thing to just be nice to this institution and not care about it. That's what I worry might happen to the PBO. And it happens in some European countries uh, where it exists and everybody's nice to it, but nobody listens to it. So if I had to strengthen the PBO, I would just ask the political parties and the other big stakeholders in the budget process to not just respect it, but allow it to integrate itself better, you know, be a larger voice. Usman Chohan there, former World Bank consultant and doctoral candidate in economics and policy reform at UNSW. You can read more online about Usman's research on PBOs in the business section of The Conversation. Our theme music is by Ben Sound, and my name is Jenny Henderson. I'm one of The Conversation's business editors. You can subscribe to more business briefing via iTunes.